From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick. And no, we are not on an hour later than usual. It's just daylight savings time has now ended and now it gets dark at an unreasonable hour. But we made it through the bye week and now Florida State will take on Pittsburgh in the battle of two not-so-great teams on Saturday afternoon. We also have some World Series talk and some NFL talk later on in the show. But first, as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. The Falcons, they won a football game and... Is this just an aberration, or is this? Are we going to be expecting to see more of the same around? If you look at the second half of the schedule, I would lean more towards an aberration because they have yet to play the Saints even once. They've yet to play the Buc- the Bucks even once. They have the Chiefs left on the schedule, the Raiders, who are no slouch. Really, the only winnable games that I see left are against the Chargers and Broncos. And, I mean, those teams had a pretty fun game yesterday, so I would not be surprised if either of them were to beat my Falcons. But, uh, yeah, not looking too good the rest of the way unless they can – just luck their way into a win like they did in New Orleans last year when nobody expected it. Yeah, I kind of forgot you had those four games still left on your schedule. That is going to be a rough stretch that you're going to have to go down. But we'll get to a little bit more NFL talk, like I said, later on the show. But first, we also have on Sebastian Angel Riano live in the fish tank. Your Rays couldn't get it done. Sorry, the do we are we calling it the Ray tank now or the Stingray tank in there? Mm. But uh, your Rays couldn't get it done in the World Series. Uh for a Rays fan, uh, how does it feel, and are your hopes going to be as high for next year? Well, if you're let, let's let's tackle the first first question. I am obviously very disappointed in um, the fact that we lost the World Series. I'm not disappointed in the team, though. I'm disappointed, you know, that we just couldn't get it done. But frankly, there's there's not much you can do against uh, you know the blender that is. The Los Angeles Dodgers. What's the difference between the L.A. Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays? A few hundred million dollars in, in, on the paybook. That, that's, that's what it boils down to. Um, Friedman built the exact same system on the West Coast, with the exception being that he has um, at his disposal an owner, an, an owner that has tons of bank. Uh, Stu will not spend obscene amounts of money on the team. He can't and he won't. Um, so what's what's in store for the future? Well, we have yet to see. Um, with the Rays, there's always good things cooking in the pipeline, so I'm not terribly worried on that front. But uh, what comes with the end of every season with the Tampa Bay Rays is that they kind of burn up like a phoenix and then rise from the ashes. You'll, it's a it's a very it's going to be a very different team next year. Uh, maybe not too different. I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. Maybe Brett, our good friend Brett, is a better person to ask about this specifically. Uh, but we'll, we'll definitely see some changes. Well, and we can ask Brett that question tonight because he will be coming on here in the second half to discuss some Rays baseball. Hey, so right. look forward to that in the second half of the show. But The return. L- the return, exactly, former host of Tomahawk Talk. But last but not least, we have Jacob Varga coming on for this first half. Jacob, how was your bye week, and are you ready for FSU football to be back this weekend? I, I, there's nothing I could be more ready for than to see the Knowles take the field again against Pitt. Very winnable game, in my opinion. I agree. It's it's like we said about Louisville. This is a winnable game for Florida State. Oh, brother. <laughs> it's yeah, I know. Maybe hey, maybe Florida State was it was a look ahead game for Louisville. They were looking ahead towards the bye week, looking ahead right. towards Pitt, and they got caught by Louisville. So maybe we'll see something different out of Florida State football this weekend, but who knows? We'll talk a little bit of that in just a moment. But we gotta mention this before we get into anything Florida State football. The, 
probably one of the biggest story and the best team at Florida State at mm-hmm. this moment, the FSU soccer team. They finished out their regular season a perfect 8-0, and and they were number two in the rankings last time I checked up on that. They finished out their uh, season with a uh, pretty two big home wins over Duke, and it was in Notre Dame this or yesterday. Clemson? Clemson, Clemson yesterday. Clemson, Clemson. Yeah. Battle of the top threes. That was it. Clemson was three. Florida State was two. Florida State ended up taking them down. But there are some big names. I mean, Dana Castellanos gone this year. You wouldn't expect them to be in this position that they were without the best player in the country, possibly, or possibly the best amateur player in the world in Dana Castellanos. But Jamaican star Jody Brown really stepped up, and she's really shown that veteran presence that you may have lost in Dana. So she's really stepped up. She had four goals in eight games. And then also goalkeeper Christina Roque, she had over 700 minutes in net and only conceded was that one goal. Yep. I mean, what? Those are, what those two have done, uh, Jody Brown and Christina Roque, have, uh, have produced are what we call superstar performances. Um, 700 uh, minutes and only allowing turning over one goal is sorry is, four four I misread my four, sheet four misread goals? my sheet oh, okay but well, let's still I, I get, still four yeah, goals in 700 a minutes a clean sheet let's... against a ranked three team in the country is spectacular nothing short of spectacular from her uh, four goals in eight eight games is incredible pace that's that's this is superstar material it's it's amazing to see that um, Florida State and in plenty of sports but and and produces superstars. And it's, I'm really happy to see that soccer is no exception. Granted, with the national championship no more than a year ago, um, in, in our rearview mirror, we, we've come to expect this from this side. But it's exciting to see. And, and I can't wait to, in non-COVID conditions, uh, show up to turn up to the games, maybe in 2021. Yeah, it's, it's really refreshing to be able to talk about a winning FSU program. We haven't been able to do that on here since really basketball season was going on, and that season was cut short due to the pandemic. But... Uh, I really do regret not being able to make it out to any of the games they've played so far. They were allowing uh, limited attendance. I know that Benny Moses here from uh, V89 has gone and covered a few of their games. Uh, great stuff from him. Great stuff from the team, obviously. Um, and I will definitely be tuning into their first-round matchup against Notre Dame. They will be entering that tournament as the number one seed in the ACC. I believe that's off of goal differential that it they is, earned yes. that. Uh, they earned that spot there. So that's nice. That's great for them. And. It's going to be a great tournament because there's, I mean, the ACC for women's soccer is just a deep, deep division uh, conference, and even for men's soccer too. I don't, we don't follow as much as the men's collegiate soccer uh, front over here, obviously, because Florida State does not have a men's team, so there really is no need to follow them. But the women's side, it's amazing. A lot of great soccer being played. A lot of great footy being played <laughs> over footy. by the women there. So I think that's all we got on women's soccer. I mean, shout out to them. They've been balling right now. So, yeah, we'll get into some football now. We got Florida State football back in Dope Campbell Stadium's first time back since the big win against number five UNC, now unranked UNC after losing to Virginia on Saturday night. That was an ugly loss. But Kenny Pickett now for Pittsburgh will not be playing. He's their starting quarterback. He has been their starting quarterback pretty much all up until his injury that he, his ankle injury that he suffered in the Boston College game about four weeks back. He is going to be most likely out for this game, and Joey Yellen will probably be under center as of right now. Without Pickett uh, against Miami and Notre Dame, the Panthers have scored only 22 points, and their defense has allowed 76, arguably to probably two top five teams in this conference they played there, but still, they do show some weakness against those teams like that. But 
Uh, you wouldn't have to guess this, but Pitt is leading the nation. I wouldn't. You guys wouldn't get this at all. Pitt is leading the nation in sacks. Really? Yes, they are leading the nation in sacks. The at with thirty-one, four point four three a game. That is something I did not know until I heard Mike Norvell talk about this uh, defense. So I want to ask you guys: Is the biggest matchup for this weekend, just overall position or uh, position group by position group, is it going to be Pittsburgh's defensive line against FSU's O line, or will it be somewhere else? Well, now that you've mentioned they lead the nation in sacks, I think that has to be the biggest spotlight because we've come back to it time after time. This FSU offensive line is not great at protecting whoever is under center, uh, giving up a lot of sacks when they really should not be. So this is just, I mean, statistically the best defensive front in the nation. So that's going to be a huge test for them. But what I'm looking at is what you mentioned earlier, Joey Yellen being under center for Pittsburgh. He's thrown one touchdown, three interceptions on the season. So not great in his actions so far, maybe with, a full week of practice leading up to him being the starter for this game. He's going to have a better showing. Who knows? Uh, that could play into it. But, I mean, he's, he's put nothing on the field so far to make me think that he's going to be able to uh, fill the starting quarterback shoes. He is. I've Okay, ever since the Austin P game for Pittsburgh, I've watched quite a bit of them this season for some odd reason. They have not looked anywhere up to snuff. No. And against Syracuse, another bad te- a bad team in the ACC, they scored 21 points and allowed 10. I know that's a, that's a good win. That looks like a good win on paper, but the offense for Pittsburgh really stalled out in that game. But so it's going to be it's going to be a weird game to watch because I don't really think I think Pittsburgh's honestly they're frauds and they're not a great team in my opinion. But Jacob, where do you see this Pittsburgh team kind of coming into this weekend? Is there any matchup like we mentioned the defensive line against FSU's offensive line that we should be looking out for? Is there any other spot maybe? Yeah, I think FSU's defense, just as a whole, and our ability to create turnovers against Pittsburgh offense is going to be something we need to watch. With FSU's offense stalling out week after week, good field position is going to be something that is very hard to come by without those turnovers. And as you said, the Pittsburgh quarterback has three interceptions in four weeks. I think our secondary should be able to capitalize on somebody who, quite honestly, looks like a backup quarterback. Yeah, and actually all three of those interceptions, now that I'm looking at the, the game-by-game breakdown, all three of those intercept, interceptions rather uh, came in the uh, October 24th game against Notre Dame. So really pitiful showing there. <laughs> I mean, I think they did only score, what did they, they lost that game 45-3. to Yeah. So, I mean, makes sense that he threw three picks in that game. But in this week's press conferences, or I think this was Monday, today, Mike Norvell, he's saying that this Pittsburgh team is better than their record shows. Is there, Jacob, we'll start with you. Is there any truth to this statement, or is this just simple coach speak? Yeah, I think there's truth to this statement. Uh, Pittsburgh has lost their last four games, so, I mean, they had to start out somewhere. They started out 3-0, and uh, at Boston College, lost their starting quarterback. I mean, any team loses a leader like that, loses a great player like that, they're going to start struggling. And when they weren't playing the powerhouses of the ACC, they were contending in those games, those two losses. So I think Coach Norvell, he's correct in saying they're better than their record shows, three and four, possibly five and two, if their starting quarterback stayed healthy. That's fair. I mean, those two losses that you mentioned were by one point each to NC State and Boston, Co- or, yeah, Boston College, so... One thing goes different in that game. They could easily be 5-2 and two and contending for a spot in the ACC championship, presumably. I mean, a lot of yeah. us, a lot of people think that it's going to be Clemson and Notre Dame just by default. But, I mean, 
they could be contending with the upper echelon at least. So just a, a couple of unlucky blows may have gone their way, obviously with the starting quarterback going down. So I, I, I can definitely buy into what Norvell is saying here with them being a better team than people are giving them credit for. I guess if you're just looking on the surface level and we're just looking at the the face value numbers, not even diving into the game-by-game statistics of each player, you that's a fair statement by Norvell. But you look at this NC State game and you look at that Boston College game, they really leaned on Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, as a crutch. In the game against uh, NC State, he threw for 411 yards and a touchdown. They're running, they're rushing. Their two leading rushers had 15 carries, one of which was Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Uh, 15 carries for 40 yards. Kenny Pickett had two of those touchdowns, uh, rushing-wise. So they really are a one-dimensional team, and this is going to be something that's going to kill them if they cannot set, figure it out. Yeah, I feel like in that case, a better qualifier then would be to say that when they're at full health, they're a better team than people give them, give, mm-hmm. give them credit for, sorry. Because obviously losing your starting quarterback, no matter who you have behind him, uh, it's going to be rough goings from there on. But yeah, I, I, FSU still should not underestimate this team be, because of uh, how their season has gone so far. Yeah, yeah I don't think FSU could Go look on. down on any team the way they've played this year. I mean, you can look. Two weeks ago, we looked down on Louisville, probably. At least some of them looked down on a team that's 1-4, and four, hadn't won a game in a month, and then they lost by 32 points. There's no team in the nation that FSU should be looking down on. I agree, yeah. There, yeah, there's no look-ahead games for this team because really what is there to look ahead to for this team in their season so far? There's nothing in the future down the line that says that's the game we need to mark up because usually that would be, uh, if you're looking at a typical when FSU is a powerhouse team, it would be Clemson. It would always be look ahead towards Clemson, but you don't want to look ahead towards Clemson. We'll get into them a little bit later, but they're never a team you want to play against right now. So that's going to be... That's going to be a big key, not getting caught up in what's next, but being caught up in what's now. So we have one other piece of information, though, or one piece of news kind of that came out today, and that Terry will be, Tamari on Terry, wide receiver, will be a game-time decision for this weekend's game. What will it mean to possibly get him back in any sort of capacity for this team? I mean, obviously, his presence on the field, like, the FSU's offense is better when he is on the field because even if he's not catching balls, he's taking coverage away from other guys on the team, allowing them to uh, to make good passes. But if if he's being touted as a game-time decision right now, then I would not expect him to really fill up the stat sheet on Saturday because that means that usually means that his injury is at a point where, like, it's, it's give or take if he's going to play. You really don't know up, up until game time, hence the game-time decision uh, notation. So if, if he hasn't been fully cleared uh, by this point in the week, then I'm not expecting him to just tear it up like some people would. Yeah, I think with Terry coming back in the lineup, the main thing it does is take the pressure off of Warren Thompson, who has had flashes but has definitely not looked like the wide receiver one that we might want him to look like if, if Terry isn't going to play. So that'll open up chances for... Helton, it'll open up chances for Warren Thompson to make plays on the outside, maybe work it inside, just do something instead of just have Jordan Travis run for his life for four quarters. Yeah, that's a good point. And with uh, tomorrow and Terry's injury, he's going to have technically a day of rest tomorrow because the football program will be halting all activities due to the election. So they want their players to go out there and vote and make their voices heard in that regard. So that's great to hear from FSU and this football program. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, and that's probably a recommendation for everyone. Just probably go vote. For sure. That's a good good word, a good uh, rule to follow there. But let's get into a, the actual matchup on Saturday and who do we think is going to have the upper edge or what will give a certain team that edge. Jacob, what does FSU need to do to beat the Panthers this Saturday? In all honesty, it's to limit the mistakes. I mean, we've seen games where offense goes quiet, just not converting plays, making those mistakes, giving away possessions on defense, getting gashed. And in games that we have limited those mistakes, you look at UNC, et cetera, then we stay in those games. And we at least have a chance at the end to make something happen. Uh, I feel like if FSU comes, they come with a meaning. They come at home, play Pittsburgh, limit those mistakes, I feel like they can come out on top. My pick would be to just simply show up in the second half, whether that means scoring in any capacity or keeping uh, Pitt from scoring. Those were both absent, really, in the UNC game, even though that is sort of the highlight of FSU's season, and that's something we've been pointing to. Uh, FSU looked great on their first drive against Louisville. They've looked great on their first drive against a whole slew of teams this season, and then have come out flat for the remaining 40-whatever minutes of game time. So... Just making sure you don't take your foot off the gas after you think you have your opponents in a uh, in a good position, if, if they're even fortunate enough to get uh, a lead early. That's going to be the key to, uh, to bringing home a victory on Saturday. My key for this game is Florida State's defensive line has to get into that backfield, and they have to put pressure on whoever is going to be back there on Saturday because if it's not Pickett, it's going to be someone who has less experience is probably less confident. So if you can knock that confidence real early, they are going to have a very good chance of causing a lot of turnovers like the Miami Dolphins did against Jared Goff this Saturday, this Sunday. So, oh boy. I mean, you saw Jared. We all saw Jared Goff, and we saw that sort of play. He did not look like a like he went to a Super Bowl a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be the real big key for Florida State right there. But let's get into some predictions right now because we got a lot of other college football news to talk about right now. We don't just have some Florida State, and there wasn't really – that much to talk about regarding FSU football this week because we did have a bye week and there wasn't that all too much happening in the world of FSU football. But Jacob, we'll start with you. What is your prediction for Saturday's game, FSU Pittsburgh? You know, I think I have FSU winning a game of attrition. Uh, I'm going to take them. Let's put that 23-20. Okay. I was thinking sort of along those same lines, uh, same point differential. I was thinking 27-24, so another nail-biter for FSU, but they they will be able to get the job done, assuming that Pickett is not playing for Pittsburgh. I'm going to take it a bigger margin of victory for Florida State. I'm going 30-20 Florida State this weekend, so I think, I think there's going to be a bit more disparity just because the level of play at quarterback is going to be huge, but if... Pittsburgh's defensive line gets going, and they play like they have been playing. It'll be a long evening. Florida State will be in a lot of trouble, and there's going to be a lot of Jordan Travis sacks, a lot of some that we haven't seen too often this season. So, Sebastian, do you got a prediction? I would love to see Travis not die on Saturday. (laughs) Uh, Norvell would agree. (laughs) I I fear for for that man because he is not Well, One thing that you can't hold against James Blackman is the fact that that man got bulldozed week in and week out over the past two seasons, and he keeps getting up. Very little downtime due to injury. Got to give him mad props for that. I'm not saying uh, Jordan Travis is, is less durable or anything like that, but he has suffered with 
or he has dealt with some minor injuries this season, and I, I don't want anything to get any worse. I'm looking at the weather right now. It's supposed to be 77 degrees, really? It's supposed I'm, to be a pretty nice day. Yeah, well, okay, there's a 40% chance for rain, so I don't know about nice day, but it is going to be warm, so that does mitigate one of my fears, which was Florida State won't be able to play too well in the cold, or they might be affected by the cold. This isn't Notre Dame from 2018. That was a whole different story oh, that yeah, year. Thankfully. Well, there's cold in their Siberian. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, let's. I, I, I kind of don't want to give a score because I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm gonna be honest. I haven't seen a lot of Pitt this year. I have seen Florida State. I know what their defense is capable of. They can remain disciplined, and continue to manufacture plays like they have this season. So, with that in mind, it, it I think it's, it, it's going to be a, a show and tell with both defenses. I, I don't think it's more of the offensive line matchup so much as it is can the defense, uh, can the Florida State defense step up and really continue to manufacture plays. If they can do that, I think if if we only see like a 50%, you know, uh, conversion rate on drives um, on Saturday, I, I think Florida State will be in a better spot. But we'll we'll have to see. I, I'm I'm gonna give it like a a 14 to 21 to Pitt. All right, Ooh. all right. Well. Be sure to follow Sebastian on Twitter and also V89 Sports on Twitter because you will be covering the game this weekend alongside Gabe Tismas. So that will be some good content to follow on, some good analysis as we move our way through that Saturday. But let's talk about the rest of the college football landscape right now because there's a lot going on and there's a lot of good games and a lot of interesting stories happening. And probably the most interesting one that everyone's talking about on this Monday morning is Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. He tested positive for COVID-19, I believe it was last Thursday, and he did not play in their game against Boston College this past weekend. And Boston College, for a moment, looked like they were going to steal one in Death Valley, and it was going to be the classic, okay, Clemson loses one their one ACC game a year in, at home, and here it is. But it didn't, and I can't pronounce their quarterback, their new quarterback's name. We thought Tua Tugavaloa was tough. Yeah, this, this kid, I can't. I'm just calling him DJ <laughs> because that's his name. That's his first name. His yeah. first name is DJ. I cannot try and get his last name correct. It starts with a U, and I don't know how it ends. So he was actually he didn't look that great in his first showing for Clemson. He look he got the job done. He didn't look like the typical Clemson quarterback. Or I guess he did look like a typical Clemson quarterback mm-hmm. because other than Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, they've all kind of looked like that. Exactly. That's so, the thing. Like you're, you're comparing him to Trevor Lawrence, which if you look at how many teams in the NFL are tanking right now, he might as well be at the second coming of football, Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. But he the, was, the, the long hair would certainly suggest he is. Yes, yeah. exactly. But he was able to get the job done, though. They did win 38, or yes, that's 34, sorry, <clears throat> 34-28 over the Eagles. They... Boston College had a chance, really, but they just, like Florida State, they could not score in the second half. So the Eagles actually do not come out with a win, but Lawrence will not be playing. Trevor Lawrence will not be playing next week against Notre Dame. Does this loss does this loss change anything for Clemson, or would a, loss, would a loss, sorry, change anything for Clemson in the college football playoff rankings, or could they be out of it with one loss to Notre Dame? I don't think. Yeah, I don't, yeah go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I, I don't think they would be entirely out of it. Uh, I think if they were to match up against Notre Dame in the ACC championship game and uh, take down the Fighting Irish there, then that, that win would be more recent. It would be more credible. They would probably have Trevor Lawrence back for that game. So you would probably lean more on the results of that game than you would a game in early November. Uh, but this would be a really damaging loss in terms of short-term rankings, which, I mean, 
really aren't all that relevant. Uh, we're still waiting on the college football playoff rankings to come out, and obviously the final rankings at the end of regular season and championship gameplay are what matter. Um, but, I mean, heck, if they lose this game, they might, be, they might be motivated to just go blazing earth the entire rest of the season. Yeah, I really, really hope Clemson wins this game because we still have to play them. And oh, yeah. if we you, you talk about that one loss Clemson gets per year, I'm holding out hope that that loss is us. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the second half of the game uh, against Boston College, their backup quarterback showed up. DJU, he showed up, led the team to 21 unanswered points in the win. And at the end of the day, for somebody's first start, if they can get a come-from-behind win, 15 points down against a pretty good Boston College team, can't really ask for much more than that. This Notre Dame game is going to be a test. I still think Clemson wins by double digits. Oh, yeah, I would. I would certainly expect Clemson to get off to a, a rocky start, like they did against Boston College. Uh, could even be a little uglier than the margin they had against Boston College, considering the the quality of opponent. But I, I, I am confident in. I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce his name, DJ Uliagalele. I think is how they said it on broadcast. Uh, I'm, I'm confident in him to uh, to get the experience needed to uh, keep Cle- at least keep Clemson in the game. I'm not sure they're going to win, but I think it'll be a closer affair in the second half uh, because he was able to rebound so well against Boston College. Um, I would expect expect more during this bigger matchup with Notre Dame. Uh, I can't really make a call on it right now, but I'm just looking forward to uh, what should be a fun game. It's going to be a night game too, 7:30 yes. in South Bend. That's going to be on I think NBC this weekend so that'll be a lot of fun to watch but let's talk about some of the other teams from up north in that neck of the woods there michigan michigan football has uh, lost 27 to 24 at the hands of the spartans and they lose the paul bunyan trophy to their rivals and jim harbaugh improves or does not improve to one in six against rivals that is michigan state and ohio state uh, will Michigan ever uh, make a change, or are they going to be stuck with Harbaugh going in an 8-win, 9-win, 10-win season just about every year? I think before too long, the boosters are going to get really, really annoyed with these constant 8-9-10 win seasons, uh, not being able to beat the rivals that you mentioned. Because, I mean, you look at Willie Taggart at Florida State, it took less than two years for boosters to get up in arms about not beating UF or Miami. Uh, Clemson, obviously, like they're touted as a rival of Florida State's, but they've been dominant for the past few years so you can kind of write off those games at least i can um but boosters get angry when they don't see progress being made so as, as much as the michigan faithful might like uh harbaugh for maybe 10 or 11 games out of the year sans those two that we mentioned um i i could definitely see harbaugh being out of there by the end of the season i don't really think so ultimately you know what's the difference between harbaugh and taggart winning seasons fair that is a very good point and uh, a couple double digit winning seasons yeah. too I think it's a it's a monkey on his back that he's he's fighting really hard to get rid of, but it, it probably so it's not happening against Ohio State this year. No. It's not happening. It well it should now, have happened against Michigan State because Michigan State hap- just lost Michigan to Rutgers. State, they yeah. lost to Rutgers. Is oh man, I I I've got a friend up at at Michigan State. She's part of a, their D one rowing program, and I was telling her um, the weekend before or. The days leading up to this weekend, I was telling, I was telling her, man, you guys are gonna get torched this week, aren't you? And she told me, yeah, it's probably gonna be really, really bad. We're gonna get curb stomped in the house. And uh, I, I text her Saturday afternoon, and it's like, wait, what? Can can you explain to me what is going on up in Ann Arbor? She's she tells me, you you don't question these things, okay? <laughs> you you just don't. 
Um, I'm que- I, I'm questioning Jim Harbaugh right now. That's what I'm doing because well, I, I I I it's it's just these games. I guess it's uh, so. What we're saying is is that Jim Harbaugh can't deliver on the biggest stage. He was a great NFL quarterback. He turned around another system entirely on the West Coast. If you remember his tenure at Stanford, he was um, he basically took a program that was whatever and made it the best program in the country. Uh, what does he need? What is he missing? I don't know. I'm not in Michigan right now, but do I think it's like enough for the the boosters to start like you know handing or moving the hat around to try and try and buy him out of his contract? I don't so, think so yet. The problem is every t- single time we have a conversation about Jim Harbaugh and him possibly getting fired is who do you hire that's better? It And there's no one that you can hire that is going to guarantee that same sort of success or better in every single season coming forward. Exactly. So it's it's tough. I mean, Jacob, would you, if you are a Michigan fan, right, if you are a Michigan fan or a Michigan booster right now, would you be calling for Harbaugh's head? You know, I'm not entirely sure. But the thing with Jim Harbaugh is he finds a way to lose against these two teams. <laughs> Some of these games he gets blown out. Some of these games he loses on the last play on freak plays that will be in highlight reels forever. And oh, he has trouble with the snap. He's never on the winning side of those plays. You can say that in general, too. You never see Michigan win spectacular fashion. You see Michigan winning handily, good defense. They beat their opponent by 14, 21 points, and on to the next game until they run into the two brick walls that are Michigan State and Ohio State. At least to them, they are. (laughs) And with Ohio State being as consistent and as great and as strong recruiting-wise as they are, I, I don't see Michigan or Jim Harbaugh breaking that curse anytime soon. So I, I guess if I was a booster, I, at some point you just have to live with the fact that Jim Harbaugh is a great, not good, great coach who is just cursed. And if you're willing to take the curse, and if you're willing to take one out of seven of those games being a win and maybe you roll the dice and you get lucky one year and win both, then – I'm all for Jim Harbaugh, but if you can't roll the dice with him on his cursed games, then, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Here's an interesting question to – interesting answer, rather, to the question of who to hire. Who knows better – I mean, I, I don't know if he's willing to come back to coaching at this point, but who knows how to beat Ohio State better than Urban Meyer? Oh, yeah, no. That's, oh, that's a very no, good – that's a no, very good point. No. That, oh, I mean, no, he brings up a very no, good point. No. I I haven't thought of that yet, but – I agree. Oh, yeah, no. It's, he went the meme. Yeah, I like Urban Meyer. Uh, meme had I didn't realize it. I liked it until you said it. Now I love now it. Now you get it. Now yeah, you get now, it. now I really want to see Urban Meyer coaching Fire Michigan. Fire Jim Harbaugh. See, there he goes. It's all time. right. That that implies that Urban. First of all, all right, all right. Let's say let's say you are the uh, a councilman on the Illuminati behind the Michigan Boosters, um, like, uh, board or whatever, or just whoever determines. Um, who who is looking into, you know, a, another coach? And for whatever reason, um, Jim Harbaugh disappears off the face of the earth. You your first idea is to go to Urban Meyer, and um, so one of two things happens. Urban Meyer says, you know what? Yes, I will uh, remove myself from my cushy multi million dollar retirement to uh, go and once again recruit, but this time for Michigan, uh, for the University of Michigan. 
Um, anywhere outside of Ann Arbor, he's called the Judas Iscariot, um, especially in that region. Um, if he doesn't do well, he's an inside man for Oklahoma, uh, for Ohio State. If he says no and the new, and the word gets out, he, Michigan is laughed at by uh, the Ohio trying. State University <laughs> for just trying to talk to Urban Meyer. Uh, the If it works, uh, it's not going to work. And if it doesn't work, it blows up spectacularly in their face. It, it's something funny to think about, but honestly doesn't seem to be possible outside of NCAA 14. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't see the negative there at all. <laughs> I, I don't see any possible negative. And submit yourself, you nerd. All right, well, I think that's all we got college football-wise. Very great point, Austin. Thank Urban you. Meyer would look great in maize and blue. But that's all we got for this first half. Thank you, Jacob, for calling in and talking some college football with us. We really appreciate it. But we'll be back on the other end of this break talking some World Series and some NFL. So stay tuned, and we'll be back in just a minute. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We are back, and we have a special guest, a very special guest on our airwaves right now. He is a former host of Tomahawk Talk and the current host of Raise Your Voice from D-Rays Bay, SB Nation. Brett Rutherford, how are you doing, my man? Uh, Gary, it is good to be back. I uh, listened to you guys these last few weeks. It's been a bunch of fun. I miss it, but... Love seeing what you guys are doing, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk uh, some baseball, even if it's not uh, didn't end so great for the Rays. Gary, if he's if he's younger than us, but he's also been host on the show and a former host on the show. What we can't call him old man. Like what? What do we call him? I just said I said my man. I didn't say my old man. man. Yeah, that's that's fair. I didn't say old man. No, no, I wasn't saying that you did or didn't. Uh, I, I'm just wondering how to <laughs> how to say hello to, to to Mr. Rutherford over here. Young man. <laughs> Young man. No. Just... YMCA. <laughs> but uh, let's get into some World Series talk because I mean obviously it was a big story. That's why you're on here. And uh, if you've lived under if you have lived under a rock for the last week or so, let me catch you up. The Ray or the sorry the L.A. Dodgers captured their seventh World Series title and their first since 1988 with a 3-1 to win over the Tampa Bay Rays to win the series 4-2. to Brett, 
we're going to start with the obvious thing, and I think you already know what we're going to talk about. And yep. <laughs> please tell me why I should not be as mad at Kevin Cash for pulling Blake Snell in the sixth inning after giving up his second hit of the game as I was on Tuesday night. All right, you can be mad all you want. Uh, I was mad. It's not mad a little bit in the moment, but I disagreed with Kevin Cash mm-hmm. in the moment, which might shock you to hear. Um, but that was a decision that had to be made, and the, he, he made the decision. He did what the Rays have done, which made them this season the best team in the American League. Go back to Game 7 of the ALCS. Charlie Morton at 66 pitches, shutting out the Houston Astros. Kevin Cash does the same thing, goes to the bullpen. I believe he went to Nick Anderson. The Rays win that game, they win the American League pennant. Go back to World Series Game 2, where Blake Snell looks really great through four innings, comes back out for the fifth, gets lit up in the fifth inning uh, when the Dodgers were the third time to the order. He got a little bit, um, you know, the umpire didn't help him in that, in that game. Then you go to Game 7, looks, Blake Snell looked maybe the best he'd ever had in a Rays uniform. And, and, and that's not easy to say because he won the American League Cy Young in 2018. He had a ton of gems that season. But he looked amazing in Game 7 against the best team the Rays have faced, against the best team in baseball. But there's a lot of research that shows managers are really, really bad at knowing when their pitchers are, quote-unquote, tired or ready to unravel. So Kevin Cash made that decision. You can disagree with it. It might even be the wrong decision. But he did not disgrace the game of baseball. He is not single-handedly ruining the game of baseball. And that's been my biggest issue with the way that decision has been framed uh, in the media, it it kind of drove me a little nuts seeing certain race fans um, go go stir crazy uh, Tuesday night um, on Twitter. Particularly for me, like I, even I was a little I was a little miffed because uh, you know Anderson I I, I wasn't feeling Anderson, um, so I disagree with with the manager there. But um, I, I think. Brett does a great job of laying out, you know, look, here's the here's the trends, and they worked, so why wouldn't it have worked then? Uh, for me, that's not what the, the problem was uh, Tuesday night. The, the, the thing that got me is, like, you're not going to win a World Series game. You're not going to win very many games um, on one run. I don't think you ever win a game right. against the L.A. Dodgers in 2020, going even further back, any iteration of this Dodgers lineup. Uh, over the past four years, I don't think you win any game by just by on just one run. It's very difficult to shut them out. Um, I'd say nigh impossible. And um, if you only get one run uh, in in six innings, well, then you're just asking for trouble, and that's what the Rays got. The Rays got trouble, um, and yep. they they paid for it in blood. Uh, the the we all saw how how the Rays bats went cold. Well, were cooling coming out of the Houston series and then went cold. It's it's not a matter of getting hot or cold actually. I want to I want to walk that one back. It's just you're running into better and better pitching at every stage mm-hmm. of the playoffs. Um and the offense couldn't hang. It's it's there's no I, I said it before there's no shame in losing to the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers far and away for me have been the best team year in and year out for 3 years running now. Um they should have won the World Series twice in in this iteration. Uh oh. I want to get to this. We also have another boneheaded play uh, from that game of the World Series, and it's Justin Turner. And after receiving a positive <laughs> COVID test for uh, for co- for coronavirus, uh, he came he comes back out onto the field to celebrate the World Series, sitting next to Dave Robertson, who has beaten cancer, 
and probably not a great person to sit next to. Uh, how lucky did the MLB get that the Dodgers won game six and ended the World Series? Very. Because what? No, go, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead, Austin. Okay. Uh, because if, if that result had come out after the game or even during the game, because obviously Justin Turner was pulled during the game, um, if that result had been made public and the Rays had gone on to force the game seven, I don't know when that game seven would have been played because there would have been extensive contact tracing procedures for both teams uh, just to see if anybody had uh, anybody else had tested positive and God forbid somebody else did. There definitely would have been at least a day or two or three uh, postponements of game seven, depending on just how many players were uh, were exposed and how many tested positive. So this is definitely a lucky break, as bad a look as it may be for MLB, having a COVID-positive player <laughs> celebrating out there with his entire team. Uh, that That is, I, I saw the screenshots all night, Tuesday night. I am definitely on the side of, what are you doing? So I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that we know of, that there is no fallout from that. Yeah, I mean, the, deci- like, the decision by Justin Turner, and from a human perspective, from an emotional perspective, your team just won a World Series, a team you've been on for a long time, and a team that you, you know, you could have been the World Series MVP, Justin Turner, and I, I get it. It sucks to not be able to go out and celebrate a World Series championship with your team, a team that you've been through a lot with this year and, and in many other years before, but the fact that he was told once when he got the positive test that you have to be in isolation and then was told again when he tried to go out in the field by security that you cannot be out there, and refused, that that just can't happen. Um, not only because you can endanger players, uh, but families were out there. His wife was there. He was smooching his wife. And again, that's someone he lives with, but other players' families, other players' children who have to probably go home and be, might be around elderly people. There's stadium staff and stadium security. They're not just endangering those on the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. There are so many other people whose lives are at stake here. So to see Justin Turner, uh, and, and again, I don't want to say, I mean, I, I would be just as upset if this is a Rays player that did this. Um, but it, it was just really disheartening, and I really think the only way you can, you can handle that situation is, is with a suspension. There, there were rules put in place. He broke them, and, and, and pretty badly, too. So I think he's going to have to be suspended. More games or less games than any of the Astros players were suspended. <laughs> well, more games if it's one. So uh, exactly. that's a whole different story. Yeah, if, we're, if we're going on there, then we might as well just suspend Joe Kelly for another eight games. Yeah. Honestly, just to be another safe. one. Another that, round. That's two for weeks, right? That's quarantine. Right? Exactly. But uh, the Tampa, So if Tampa won game six and there was going to be a game seven the next day, let's say without the Justin Turner COVID fallout, how much of a chance would the Rays have had at winning that game? I'd say they'd have, they'd have a really good chance. You had Charlie Morton on the mound. I know he was going to be going up against Walker Bueller. Uh, if you buy into the idea that there are such things as clutch pitchers that can come up in big moments, uh, then Charlie Morton is one of those guys. Uh, look what he did in 2017 out of the bullpen to beat the Dodgers when he was a member of the Houston Astros. Look what he did in Game 7 of the ALCS against the Houston Astros. Charlie Morton is a big game pitcher, and to get him going in Game 7, um, the A bullpen, even if they were used all in Game 6, they would have been back out there in Game 7, and uh, it would have been a close game. I'm not saying the Rays would have won it, but the blueprint that we kind of talked about on Raise Your Voice is win Games 2, 4, and 6, which were the games that we kind of thought the Rays should be favored in, or at least that we favored them in. And then you get to Game 7, and anything can happen. 
Um, but, but going back to what Sebastian said, the Dodgers are one of the best teams I've ever watched play in my lifetime. Uh, there is no shame in losing to that Dodger team. And the fact that you forced them to a game six, and most of those games were all close games, something that the Rays and, and Rays fans should definitely be proud of. And, and, and I, I do think, though, um, on a, from a bigger picture, you go back to the 50s, Yankees and Dodgers. It seemed like every year they were on a collision course for the World Series. The 90s, you have the Braves and the Yankees. I do believe that the 2020s could be the Rays and the Dodgers decade. Now, you know, who knows how many World Series they'll reach and how many times they'll match up. Uh, but these are two teams that not only are primed to win now, they're primed to win in the future. Look at Mookie Betts, who was just locked up to a 12-year extension. The Rays have the number one farm system in all of baseball. It made it all the way to the World Series this year. I don't know how often that's happened. Wander Franco is going to be up. They've got a ton of pitching. Brent Honeywell, Brendan McKay. Uh, the Rays aren't going anywhere. The Dodgers aren't going anywhere. I hope this becomes an interleague rivalry uh, over the next few years. Well, Brett, that was my next question. What is this Rays team going to look like next year, and will they still be the top dogs in the AL East and maybe even the AL? Yeah, I mean, I think the goal needs to be to win the AL East. I didn't think it was quite possible this year, and they did it. They won handily in the AL East. They had a seven-game lead over the Yankees in just a 60-game season. That's really impressive. Now, next year, I don't know. It's, it's up in the air. Obviously, we have a, a long winter ahead of us, but they just declined the, uh, op, uh, the options on Charlie Morton and Mike Zanino. Although that might not sound good, I believe the Rays are going to try to at least bring Charlie Morton back. Charlie Morton might end up just retiring. Um, he thought about retiring before he signed with the Rays in the first place, but they might try to bring him back where they can uh, have some deferred money, and that would definitely be a, a welcome addition. Well, not really addition, but um, he would definitely be welcome back in the rotation in 2021. Uh, I do expect Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan, two of the top prospects in this system, to, to make appearances at some point in 2021. And you also get a full season of Randy Rosarena. He only played in 23 games in the regular season this year. And you saw the impact he made in the postseason. He will be a rookie next season. He'll still be rookie eligible. So even after winning ALCS MVP, he could be in a rookie of the year race. And uh, this race team, yeah, like I said, they're not going anywhere. They're not losing Blake Snell. They're not losing Tyler Glass now. Willie Adamas, Austin Meadows, Brandon Lau. That core is there to stay at least for the next couple of years. So I, I think the race, the, the goal has to be to win the division. Now that you know you're capable of it, and then uh, who knows what the postseason format's going to look like. Uh, if they have to play a best of three in the first round, anything can happen. But, yeah, it's it's not quite World Series or bust like it might have been for the Dodgers this year. But the goal is definitely to win the division. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the Rays. And especially it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the Citrus Series as the uh, both the Marlins yeah. and the Rays continue to get a lot better. I think it could honestly be one of the premier interleague matchups heading down the line in a couple of years. But... Thank you, Brett, for coming on today and talking some Rays baseball. You can follow Brett on Twitter at BGRutherford99 and also go follow his podcast, Ray, uh, Raise Your Voice, and uh, read his stuff on D-Rays Bays. He does a lot of great work for them over there. Yeah, Gary, thank you for having me on. Real quick before I go, Pitt, Florida State. Don't really like the way it looks for Florida State. That Pitt defensive line going into the season, one of the best in the country, even after a player opted out. They still look really, really good this season. I heard you guys mention they lead the nation in sacks. Don't know if Florida State's offensive line can hang in there. And uh, this Florida State team has a lot of growing pains they've got to go through. So I've got Pitt this weekend, and I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. You got a score prediction? Uh, we'll say uh, with how bad Florida State's defense is, I'll go 
32 21 pit. Ooh, all right. We'll see, see how it goes. On. It's pretty much the opposite of what I picked because mm-hmm. I went 30 20 FSU. So we'll see how that all goes. Really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking some Rays. Really appreciate that insight. So, yeah, we'll love to have you on any other time as we get closer to baseball season once again. Yeah, Gary, thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Austin. Nice to talk to you guys again, and uh, good luck for the rest of the semester. Thanks See so much. All right, thank thank you. See you next time. Awesome. I love that guy. I miss him. Always great to have Brett come for on sure. the show. Yeah, Always a great voice to have back around the station. Sadly, we would love to have him in, t- in the station because he's a local right now. He is living in town. But sadly, that is not the case. Due We've to got our white list. Yep. But we do have uh, Benny Moses. He should be calling in in just a moment. We're going to talk some NFL football with him. So let, we can start that a little bit right now as we're waiting for his phone call. We're now about halfway through the NFL season. We're at week eight or nine. Yeah, week eight. Week eight finishes tonight. Exactly. So we're just about there. And... It's a scary thought, honestly. We are ha- almost halfway through this football season. I hate it when we reach that sort of point. And um, we'll have to see how it goes from there. But um, what is one thing you have learned so far from this NFL season? My biggest takeaway is to just don't count out any players that didn't impress you the year before. Because I, I can think of two quarterbacks in particular. I was not really high on Josh Allen or Ryan Tannehill because Josh Allen I thought was – wildly inaccurate i thought it was going to take a long time for him to develop a a consistent passing game for the bills and then ryan Tannehill, i just kind of wrote him off as a game manager because he did not have great performances in the playoffs despite the titans uh, advancing to the afc championship game i really figured they kind of rode the the coattails of uh derrick henry there which is a fair assessment for 2019 but those have those guys have been two of the better quarterbacks in the afc and really the nfl as a whole this year uh, leading their teams to division leads in both uh, the AFC East for the Bills and the AFC South for the the uh, Titans, respectively. And they are poised to maybe even challenge the Chiefs and the Steelers uh, in the upper echelon of the AFC. So th- just these these new contenders, or really these new faces continuing to grow, uh, is, is really surprising for me. But it's, it's good to see that it's not just the same old teams uh, competing year in and year out. Yeah. For me, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is how – seriously important the preseason is for for just about every single element of a football team uh up from you know um getting players acclimated to a new system or potentially to a new system or just um the shakedown games that you don't really pay attention to because they're on like local tv um or something for for us um down in tampa like it's the only time of the year where buccaneer games are on nbc um because we're never on sunday night football uh, that might change soon enough. Who knows? On Monday but Night Football tonight. Sunday night, yeah. Just a few minutes. Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, Sunday Night Football. Uh, and uh, most of all, I think the, the thing that's affected everybody in the league the absolute most is players getting hurt. And players getting hurt, not even in the first four weeks, you know. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it came out earlier today that George Kittle will be out for eight weeks, eight full weeks, uh, due to a broken bone in his foot. Um That'll throw a wrench in your fantasy plans. I know fantasy is kind of a bad word here at V89. Under under different administrations, you weren't allowed to talk about it too much. Uh, I made a no. Um, yeah, get owned. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, my boy is on YFWDBWDSO. But yeah, so that's yeah. Benny. You caught us right in the middle of our conversation about what have you learned through the first uh, eight couple of weeks or eight weeks of this NFL season. So I wanted to ask, what have you learned so far? Well, first off, I want to say thanks for having me, and um, 
I just want to say, yeah, I can't believe it's already halfway. I mean, it seems like yesterday that my Falcons still had as equal of a chance uh, as the playoffs as anyone else. Don't remind me. Um, but, yeah, just like <laughs> Sebastian said, um, <laughs> the, the really one thing that I have learned is the importance of a preseason. You know, there were no OTA, OTAs. Um, you know, all the preseason games were canceled. And it really does take a toll on their bodies, having to go at full speed without really getting accustomed uh, to the speed of the season. And, you know, I honestly feel like turf fields are really a big thing. Um, you know, many of these new stadiums, Mercedes-Benz, uh, the one out in L.A. and the one they just built in Las Vegas, all turf fields. And, and you know, it, it really takes a toll on all these uh, soft tissue injuries with the non-contact uh, injuries, such as we've seen, you know, Saquon and, and Christian McCaffrey. They've definitely uh, hurt some fantasy owners, so... Yeah, there. That's been a huge factor. It's something more that we've, I guess, that we're noticing now more than any other year. But let's talk about some of the other play that's going on around the NFL. And the Tennessee Titans, they lost their, they've lost their last two games, twenty-seven to twenty-four to Pittsburgh, and then most recently thirty-one to twenty to Cincinnati. Is the AFC officially now a two-horse race between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs? I really don't think so because I feel like the loss to Pittsburgh is, is understandable for Tennessee. Pittsburgh is the lone undefeated team remaining in the NFL, and that was a really tightly contested game between those two teams. Uh, the loss to Cincinnati is really an enigma because, I mean, up until that point, the Bengals' offensive line was was a revolving door. Any pass rusher that, that wanted to get to Joe Burrow could get to Joe Burrow, and since his offensive line did not surrender a single sack against the Titans. So... That was a huge key in allowing Joe Burrow to kind of work his magic and lead the Bengals to a rare victory this season. Um, I don't think that trend is going to continue. I think the Titans are just too good, really. I mean, they've had great showings in the early parts of the season. Ryan Tannehill, like I mentioned earlier, has been vastly improved from his 2019 campaign. Really, like it seems like just getting him away from Adam Gase has done wonders for him, as it does for most players. Uh, and then Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. So, I mean, the Titans are in contention. As for the Ravens, I mean, they're a tougher case to call because even when they were a juggernaut last year, they were not able to get it done in the playoffs. And they're not a juggernaut in the regular season in 2020. So who knows? Are they going to put this same product out on the field where they're not able to win the big games, beat the teams they need to beat, like the Steelers, like the Chiefs? Or are they going to suddenly turn it on and, and it'll be like a reversal of fortune from 2019? Who knows? The Ravens do a really good job of just beating up on the bottom feeders. Yes. They can really show up in those ones, but against the big dogs, not a lot of action. Nah. But, Benny, what did, is this really just between the Chiefs and the uh, Steelers now? Honestly, I mean, I might have to agree with Austin. Uh, Tennessee, we, we can never really count them out uh, just because of how well-rounded they are. But, honestly, I think it, it looks to be Steelers and Chiefs in the AFC, and here's why. Both of them relatively have easy schedules. Uh, Steelers, they play their next nine games. Uh, they play teams with uh, five teams with losing records. Um, and the Chiefs, they're just, you know, although they are playing the uh, NFC South with the um, Saints and the Buccaneers, who they're going to be some really good games then, I think that their offense is just way too good with, you know, the amount of uh, firepower they have. Um, the only threat that could be to catch the uh, Steelers are the Ravens. Um, who, I mean, not, they haven't really been playing too well. Lamar just hasn't been showing up uh, as last season. Um, but the defense has been really good for the Steelers. Um, you know, Chiefs have the best point differential in the league. Steelers have the least points allowed among division leaders. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that the Jets will get the first win before the Steelers get their first loss. Yeah, 
That's a fair point. And the wow. Chiefs the Chiefs did look like they were playing with their food when they were playing against the Jets this past weekend. I mean, you were just waiting. When are they going to turn on the Jets and really going to start playing football? 35-9 is playing your, playing right. with your food. Well, early in For the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the, I agree. The first half, it didn't look like a complete blowout. It didn't look like it should. And I thought, like, okay, what's going on yeah. here? Is Andy Reid really trying, or is he letting his kid coach the team right now? But obviously it turned around in the second half. Do you but, guys remember that one game last year? Um, New England, uh, New York Jets. Um, at the very end of the game, Belichick is willingly taking either delay of game calls or, or um, false start calls just so he can push his kicker back for a better for a better oh, yeah. field goal position. I mean, we saw that with Vrabel. That's another disciple of Belichick move there is to use the rules in your favor. And just by messing with that stuff there, it always works out. I think that was against the Titans because mm-hmm. there was Vrabel see, and him just going yeah. back and forth with those penalties. See, that, that is uh, playing with your food with with... with the Jets and the Chiefs, I guess, uh, it just felt like a, a steam, like a, you know, where we're a, yeah, it's a steamroll. I, mm-hmm. There's no real other way of saying it. It's just a, a bulldozing, I guess. Spe- but look, look what ha- look what happened last week. Uh, the Jets held the a good Buffalo Bills team to six field goals and still managed to lose. See the problem mm-hmm. with with the with that offense though that that off I, I've been watching Josh Allen's games, uh, week in and week out, and St- Stephon Diggs to a smaller extent. Um, there's just, for whatever reason, um, Josh Allen through the past four weeks has not been the Josh Allen of the first four weeks. He hasn't been as accurate. That's um, his big issue. If, right. When yeah. Josh Allen is accurate, he is could be the best quarterback in the like NFL. 152 yards. He's no, got an arm like Mahomes. Exactly. He threw for 154 yards, um, had zero. No, he had one touchdown, maybe a rushing touchdown um, this week. Yeah, a, a rushing touchdown. So zero uh, touchdown passes. Uh, one rushing touchdown, so that part of his game is still intact, uh, and a pick. He he just had like Josh Allen hasn't been great. The uh, the Bills have been the Bills have kind of slept walked through their past two losses and their past two wins. Uh, I don't know, guys. I, I, I'm not saying Buffalo's fraudulent just yet. Are they in the driver's seat? Of their division, absolutely. Still, uh, I don't know about that. Let's talk. Of, let's oh get to. Let's get to that right now. Great transition, Sebastian. Yeah. Tua Tungavailoa has started oh a football God. game for the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins handily, they pretty handily beat the uh, L.A. Rams in their game on Sunday. They forced four turnovers. Jared Goff looked awful. The Miami defense looked phenomenal. And especially the special teams, too. I mean, they had a punt return. Hecker just doesn't let up punt returns too often. And I saw PFT commenter made a really good point. He said the L.A. punt defense isn't that good at tackling because they never get that experience because Johnny Hecker pins everyone back inside 10, 15 yards every single time. So they never had the experience. And then when Jakeem Grant takes off for a touchdown, they don't know what to do. So Dolphins dominated at least that first half. And Tua Tungvaloa didn't. Did really nothing. Let's be honest. Yeah. He did not have a great game. He played he like a first. He played like a rookie quarterback, like he should, especially against a team that has Aaron Donald on their defensive line, one of the best or the best defensive player in all of football. He was 12 for 22, 93 yards and a touchdown. He had one turnover. It was a fumble on his first drive on his second play of that drive, where the Rams forced a strip sack and then turned around and scored a touchdown right after. So the Rams seemed to be in control that game early. Sean McVay is also 5-0 and against rookie quarterbacks heading into that game. And the Miami Dolphins defense flipped it on its head. And I have a big stat for you guys about the Miami Dolphins defense. And this comes via uh, Mike Renner at Pro Football Focus. The Dolphins defense in games where they have both Byron Jones and Xavier Howard both on the field 
They give up 13.8 points a game, force two turnovers per game, and they let their the def- or the opposing offense only average 5.5 yards in the air. And those quarterbacks also have a 61.5 passer rating. This defense, if they can have both those guys there when they play the Bills the next time around, Josh Allen could be in a lot of trouble. Granted, that game will be in just after New Year's in frigid Buffalo. Mm. And it's not going to be pre- – I don't think that one's going to be pretty for Miami necessarily. So – I just want to get a uh, feel from you guys. What did you like or not like from Tua or just any analysis from that game in general? So I, I actually want to go first here because I want to ask you, Gary, um, how much of uh, Tua's shaky start can you attribute to the fact that he is a left-handed quarterback? And a left-handed quarterback is a is a completely different ball game. I don't uh, think I don't think I would attribute the shakiness to a left-handed quarterback. I would sh- uh, attribute it to Aaron Donald being, being on the other side of that ball, which is a scary thought if you were a rookie, especially – Especially if you've gone up against SEC defenses, you don't think it would be that big. But Aaron Donald, different beast. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, the the phrasing in the in the Google Doc that I was going to reference. Uh, what did you see from Tua that you did or didn't like? I'm just going to say I didn't really see anything because yeah. he was a, he was really a non-factor in this game, and he didn't have to be a factor. The one thing that I will point to is that he didn't get rattled after the strip sack by Aaron Donald, because it would be really easy for a rookie quarterback making his first start to have that happen to him and kind of get in his own head, be like, oh, Aaron Donald's just going to be able to do this all day. My offensive line's not going to be able to block him. But he rebounded really nicely. Um, maybe not really nicely. I mean, the stat he line reba- is... The he stat rebounded. Line, he rebounded, yes. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> he, he didn't go out there and just mail it in like some people may have. So that was good to see, at least from the mental standpoint. Uh, hopefully he's able to have a more impactful performance next time so that he can kind of live up to the hype, but not a bad showing by him really whatsoever. Yeah, I wanted to add something real quick. Uh, you guys think since, you know, Tua came you know, out of Alabama, a winning program, do you think the winning might rub off on the Dolphins? You know, <laughs> bringing someone into a locker room, having won a national championship, um, and then it only it honestly only needs to take one guy to, you know, change the atmosphere and change the energy of, uh, of you know, the whole ambiance well, uh, in the locker room. With so. the Dolphins, that isn't starting with Tua. Tua can bring in that winning mentality and that winning ability from Alabama, but where that mentality that you kind of mentioned there is being brought from is head coach Brian Flores, New England Patriot, former coach, yeah. linebackers coach, a little bit defensive specialist coach, has brought in that culture. And last year, obviously, different animal, just bad season. You were tanking for Tua. You have Tua now. They're starting to play good football. They've won some good games. I mean, granted, they beat the Niners 43-17. Then they beat the Jets like they should have 24 to nothing. And then they beat the Rams, a team that is at the top or should be contending for their division right now. And they beat them pretty badly in Miami, which is a huge win. But now this is going to be a big test this week. They go to Arizona. They play the Cardinals at on Sunday at 425. That is going to be a big litmus test for how this team is really uh, handling themselves mentally. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I agree. Next, I mean, next you, nine weeks are going to be going yeah. to be definitely uh, definitely fun to watch. Yeah, it, it it really could be like a changing of the guard here. That that matchup that we see between the Cardinals and uh, and Dolphins, not so much like an older quarterback passing the torch to a younger quarterback, but just two really good young quarterbacks going out and slinging it. Because I mean, two has been hyped up. Uh, coming out of college, obviously had the great uh, career at Alabama, and Kyler Murray took took a leap in year two that a lot of people were projecting him to have. But it's still really cool to see 
he and he and DeAndre Hopkins have the Cardinals in prime position to challenge for that division title. Exactly. And the last thing that we get is the Dolphins, the week after they play Arizona, they come back to Miami to play the Chargers. So you get Tua and Herbert, two quarterbacks that the Dolphins were both considering for their job, will now be duking it out on that weekend. So that's all we got for the show. Thank you, Benny, for coming on. We we're sorry that we didn't get to as much NFL talk that we'd like to, but we got we filled this second half of the second half up pretty well. So thank you for coming on. And for myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Brett Rutherford, for Jacob Varga, and for Benny Moses, thank you for listening to Tomahawk Talk, the voice of on Tomahawk Talk on WVS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.